Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Well, you chose a great day to come to church. I mean, obviously, the cuteness quotient is super high this week. I mean, I'm not bad, but come on, those guys, wow. That was over the top with cuteness and so much blessing. And I, I want to thank you all for coming. There are those of you that have come with your family uh, to support someone. And so we want to welcome you. If you're a guest with us today, we're so glad you're here. We're not going to keep you very long, just a few minutes, and uh, we'll be done by the end of this hour. And uh, you can get on with your day. But we're so glad that you've come today. And, and we're actually in a series on joy. And I can't think of a better picture, a uh, presentation of joy than to have all these little ones up here on the stage. I mean, they certainly represent a lot of joy for a lot of people and children bring joy. I wanted you to see that, that sermon opener because there's just images of joy in the house of the Lord. And I just want to say thanks, Josh, for that song again, joy in the house of the Lord. Were you feeling the joy today? Somebody, somebody agree with me. I was feeling the joy today. It's so good to be together as the family of God and just to feel the faith in the room. And, and you know what? God is so good. Last week, Pastor Adam opened up our series in the book of Philippians, which is a book that the apostle Paul wrote, the great evangelist. And, um, and, and Adam took us through a journey of finding joy in suffering. And, and that's really important. I mean, for all of us, we've had times of suffering. And if you've not been around long enough to have that, let me encourage you, it will come, right? <laughs> but, but the truth is, is it's so good to know that we can find joy even in the midst of suffering, Paul was writing this letter on joy, you know, mentioned 16 times in this, in these four chapters, the word joy or a derivative thereof. And, and, and yet Paul writes this, this great, great passage on joy from prison of all places, a place where there's not a lot of joy. And so Pastor Adam mined out the truth of this passage and helped us see that um, you can have joy in the midst of any circumstance. And, and just so beautiful, just so beautiful. And today I want to talk about joy again. But I want to talk about joy in the context of being others focused. Others focused. Did you know there's a joy when you turn the attention away from yourself and onto somebody else? There's actually a tremendous amount of joy in that act. And so we're going to talk about that today. And in order for us to get there, we're going to need to talk about the value of unity. And this is where Paul takes us. After he encourages the church to have joy in suffering, the very next thing that he introduces in chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verse 27, is this. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The gospel means good news. The good news of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. This good news. Paul is championing unity. He's saying unity is what we need. We want to be one in spirit. We want to strive together as one. We want to hold high faith together. Paul is making a case for unity and the power of unity. And he says it's worth fighting for. Unity is worth the battle, friends. It's worth the fight. And unity is a fight. 
And so Paul continues this thought as we transition from chapter one into chapter two. In verse one, he continues this thought. He says, therefore, in other words, based on what I've just said, which is look for that oneness, look for that spirit, strive for it, work for it. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, I'm going to stop there. The verse continues, but I'm going to stop there because Paul now transitions to something really incredible. He starts to give them an understanding of how unity together will actually work. He's saying, I want you to be one. I want you to have that one spirit. I want you to work together. And let me remind you of how that works. Have you been united with Christ? Have you been united with Christ? It comes out as a question. If you, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, in other words, this is the very highest experience of unity that any of us can ever have. Union with God through Christ. What a powerful truth that is and what a great joy that can be to our lives to have union with Christ. And Paul starts there. He says, do you have an encouragement from being united with Christ? And then he goes on with what this union actually provides. He says, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness, compassion. Now I want you to see, there's a rhetorical question going on here, isn't it? He's saying, hey, I I mean, maybe you haven't, but if you have experienced any encouragement from being united with Christ, well, hello. If you've experienced any sense of, you know, any, any, any sense of blessing from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any sharing in the spirit, it's not a question, friends. The if is not an if. The if is a reality. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have experienced the tenderness and compassion of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've experienced love like you've never experienced before. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have union with Christ. Friends, this is not a question. This is a glorious statement. Aren't you glad for that? Yes, we do. Of course we do. I have union with Christ and therefore I experience love and tenderness and compassion and comfort and a sharing in the spirit of God. Listen, if you're not a Christian, let me just encourage you. This is waiting for you. And all the joy that goes with it. This is waiting for you. The comfort of his love, the tenderness, the compassion. That's what's waiting for you in choosing God's free gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul asked this rhetorical question. If you've experienced any of these things from being united with Christ, he goes on, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Are you seeing it here? He kind of lays it out there. Make my joy complete, he says. Wow. So in other words, what we're learning here is that joy is complete when we are united with Christ and with each other. When we're united with Christ and with each other, joy is made complete. So Paul's telling us what to do here in this verse. He's saying, be like-minded, have the same love, be one in spirit of one mind. That seems hard, doesn't it? (laughs) That actually is quite a challenge. He then goes on to tell us what not to do. I'll get back to that thought in a minute, but here's what he says not to do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, 
In humility, can, can we say that? We got to try that one on together. It's actually not as easy as it sounds, but can we just say it together? I'm going to, in humility, let's say it together. Ready? In humility. One more time. In humility. Tell the person next to you, you need more humility. <laughs> Tell them they, you need to be humble like me. You need to work on that. Follow my example. I will lead you in the ways of humility. Right? In humility. You see, Paul's turning a switch here. He starts with, don't have selfish ambition. Don't go after vain glory, vain conceit. But rather, in humility. He turns it back from what not to do to what to do. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So in other words, what Paul's doing is right in the middle of this idea of being united with Christ, he talks about being united with one another, and he actually gives us the pathway. Humility is the path to unity. Friends, we can't have unity if we have pride. We can't have unity if we have to be right. We can't have unity if it's my way or the highway, right? We can't have unity that way. Unity comes out of humility. In other words, I value what you have to say. I'm interested in your perspective. I'm willing to listen as much as talk. I'm in a position now to hear as well as to speak. It requires humility if we're ever going to have unity. And some people say, I would rather have my pride than have unity. And I'm sorry if that's where you're at today, but I want you to know this pathway is a pathway that only emerges when we choose humility. And you know, the truth is, is we're dealing with disunity, aren't we? I mean, I I would say you don't, you don't have to be a, a Christian. You don't have to agree with me theologically to see that in our world, unity is under attack, right? It is. Everywhere you look. And, you know, as long as I've ever been alive, and, and that's a few years, not, not as many as some, but more than a lot of you. And the truth is, as long as I've been alive, I have never seen it more difficult to follow these commands of being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. I've never seen it be so difficult. And the truth is, COVID-19 has brought a crisis of disunity And we've all experienced it in different ways. It has actually pit family members against each other. In fact, I just had a a very painful conversation with a friend last night who said, you know what? My brother doesn't speak to me. We don't have a relationship anymore because of this. And he actually, she actually said, my dad has a son, but I don't have a brother. You see, what's happening in the midst of all of this is people, families are being pit against one another. Friends no longer speaking to each other. Social media has become a battleground. And friend, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're immune. We've been divided as well. We've all been divided in this. And so how do we deal with this issue and all that surrounds it? Because it's real and we're all having to deal with it. How do we deal with this? When Paul says, listen, be of one mind and one spirit, be united. How do we deal with the fact that there's such disunity in our world and even amongst us as followers of Jesus? I think we have to find a place where this issue, this major issue that threatens to divide us all, this issue finds its right level in our lives. 
And, and here's how I want us to see it. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul teaching us. I want to go somewhere else where he teaches us to find the answer. I want to go to Romans chapter 14. And in Romans chapter 14, Paul is dealing with an attack on unity in the church. He's dealing with it on a number of levels. It has to do with uh, meat, actually meat sacrifice to idols, if you can believe it. And this was quite an issue of the day. Let me explain to you what was going on. So, you know, it, we got business people in the house. And when it comes to business, what are you looking for? Low overhead, you know, and, and uh, a high profit margin, right? And so in an attempt to do good business, people were buying the meat that was, was put before an, all, an idol to be sacrificed to it. So it's like perfectly good meat that was grilled on a grill, and then it comes off the grill, and they have to do something with it. So these guys who ran the, you know, the whatever, the temples, would sell that meat off cheap. And so the businessmen would say, hey, I'll take some of that meat. That's good meat, and I'll resell it in my shop, or I'll sell it um, in my, in my uh, restaurant, and, and, and great. And so the Christians were going, hold on a second. How do we know where this meat has been? All of a sudden, it became a spiritual issue for some. Some were saying, this meat's been sacrificed to an idol. How could I eat it? And then on the flip side, other people were going like, what's an idol? An idol's not even real. So I am thankful for what I eat. God gave it to me. I thank him for it and I eat it without any concern at all with joy in my heart and yum yum to my tongue, right? Right? So what's the issue here? Some are going like, oh, is that meat been sacrificed to idols? And others are going, I don't care. And Paul's going, hold on a second. We're getting out of sync here. What is an issue is becoming now a divisive issue amongst us. What are we going to do with this? For some, it was really spiritual. I can't eat that meat. For others of them, it wasn't spiritual at all. And that's exactly where we are today. For some of us, the COVID-19 and its vaccine and so on has become a spiritual issue. For others of us, we say it's not spiritual at all. And where our unity is threatened as a result of what's going on here. And so what do we do with it? I think we use Paul's direction here in Romans 15. Are you ready for it? Here's what Paul says. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Paul calls it disputable matters. Why? Because it's something that you can dispute. There's more than one opinion. There are differences of opinions, both of which feel that they are right. My opinion, your opinion, his opinion, her opinion. I'll eat that meat, but not that meat. I won't eat any meat. I'll eat all the meat, right? And there's opinion, opinion, opinion. It's become a disputable matter. Why? Because you can dispute it. There's more than one opinion. How many of you would say with me, I believe that when it comes to COVID-19, to the vaccine and everything else, there's more than one opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So we really can find ourselves in the story. And, and, and what Paul's encouraging us to do is don't quarrel over those things. Friends, I think that may be the first indictment for us. We've been quarreling over this. We shouldn't quarrel over it. It's disputable. It's a disputable matter. There are, there are matters that are not disputable, like Jesus, <laughs> his divinity, his, his coming to earth his return. There are things that are not disputable, but there are things that are. This is a disputable matter. So we should not quarrel about it. So I'm going to give you two keys. 
Because I really think that the goal here is to choose humility because humility is the path to unity like we talked about. So two keys to humility that preserves unity out of Paul's teaching. Because Paul's dealing with food sacrifice to idols. He's also dealing with uh, people who have like sacred days and people who think every day is exactly the same. He's dealing with all of this stuff and he's saying, listen, it all fits in the category of disputable matters. And so this is what I would give you as Paul's direction. Two keys to humility that preserves unity. Number one, decide for yourself. Decide for yourself. The Bible gives you that privilege. You choose for you. And here's what the Bible says. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. And look at Paul's instruction here. Each, one, each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. You choose. You decide. You do your research. You consult the professionals. You come to your own conclusion and you be fully convinced. You decide. And then the second thing that you do is you keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. This is a real problem for some of us. And some of us have made a way of life out of making sure that everybody knows what we think about this issue. Keep it to yourself. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. And the church said, amen. 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 Now, he goes on here to make a, a very important point that leads us right back into our story of humility. He says, blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. In other words, be careful about where you land on these things in terms of sharing it with everybody else. Because here's the deal. Humility says, I respect everyone's right to decide for themselves. And humility also says, I might be wrong. And so I don't want to condemn myself by what I've approved. I'll choose for myself. I'll be fully convinced. And then I'll be quiet. That seems to me like wisdom. Wisdom that would restore unity. And isn't that the goal? Because unity springs into joy. It really does. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. That's where the blessing of God is, right? That's where the joy flows. And so we got to get to that place. Now we are dealing with a disputable matter here. So let's follow Paul's advice and preserve unity with humility. And now let's go back to our storyline. Philippians chapter two, the greatest example of humility is who? Jesus. Amen. Jesus. The greatest example of humility is Jesus. And so here's what I want now. I want to jump back into the passage where Paul now begins to give us his example. And it's, it's quite an example, I'll tell you. It's a, it's a fantastic example. In fact, I'm going to read this first verse and then give you a little bit of a preamble before we jump into the rest. Are you doing good today, friends? Are you okay? Praise the Lord. Verse five, after he talked about don't look to your own interests, but the interests of others, he says, in your relationships with one another, 
Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, there might need to be a shift in your mindset. You need to have the mindset of Christ Jesus. And then he begins to talk about how Jesus lowered himself and became your servant. Yes. Look at this. Look how he talks about it. He says, speaking of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God. In other words, what Paul is saying here, this, this phrase, very nature, is actually where we get our word form. In fact, some versions would translate this in the form of God. Now, that's not a great example because form has many different thoughts surrounding it. In other words, I carry the form of a human being. Ten fingers, ten toes, hair on my head. Some of you have hair in your ears, but not on your head. It's fine. We have hair, right? I stand upright. I talk with my mouth. I walk on two legs. I am the form of a human. But over the years, my form has changed, right? I started off as an infant, then I grew into a toddler, then I became a boy, then I became a young man, and then I finally made it through puberty, and I was finally a man. And then that man has now grown older, and now I stand before you in the form of a grandpa, and I love it. So you can see the difference. I'm still a human, always a human. There is no change in that form, but my form has certainly changed. Are you following me? So it's really important that we get to what Paul meant here. What Paul meant here is the Greek word morphe, which means unchanging being. So when he talks about Jesus being God, he's talking about the unchanging being of Jesus. He is God. He is always God. He is never not God. He took the form, but it was the form that was unchangeable. So that is the very nature of God. So he, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, he was God, but he chose not to use his divinity for your benefit. That's quite a humility, isn't it? We have a hard time getting along, but when you think about what Jesus did, it makes it a little easier, doesn't it? And so let's keep going here. Verse 7, rather... He made himself nothing. This Greek word, kinoun, means to empty or pour out until there is nothing left at all. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself completely by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now, this is important. God became a servant, human likeness. This human likeness is very important because this is not a fake Jesus didn't just pretend to be human. Jesus became human, but the Greek words are specific. He became human, but it was temporary. We don't necessarily see that, but that's the truth. Always God, temporarily human, not an act, but actually really human and being found in appearance as a man. That's that word form again, but now it's the different one. It's the one like uh, I was talking to you before. It's not morphe, which is unchanging. It's schema, which means to be altered. So for a time, he became in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you see the descent of Jesus? Do you see the humility of Jesus? Do you see the path in which he travels? 
He travels from great heights to deep depths. And he does this for us. Always God, temporarily, truly human. But Jesus followed a pattern. And it was a pattern that was fueled by love, which led to humility, which then brought unity between you and God. And then great joy that flows out of it. That's the story. Now, why am I spending so much time on these, this little chunk of scripture, giving you Greek and all that, like, like I'm actually smart? The reason why I'm doing that is because this little passage, if you notice, if you get your physical Bible out, even the one in front of you, and turn to Philippians 2, what you're going to see is the sentence structure changes. It changes because right here, this is no longer just dialogue. This is a song that the ancient church sang. This was the first hymn of the church of Jesus Christ. And they wanted so desperately to hold on to this truth that they set it to a musical tone and they would sing it over and over and over again that he who is in very nature God did not consider equality something to be held to or cling to, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant and being made in human likeness. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And they would sing it over and over and over again. Friends, it's not a truth that we can let go of. But out of it springs such joy. I I can just see him. I mean, I know it's like, ooh, death and cross. But there's joy here, friends. And there's joy for us in this. This is a joyful, beautiful passage. From the depths, we now see God raise Jesus to the heights as we read on. Therefore, verse 9, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Can you see it here? God actually gave Jesus a new name after he rose from the dead. God actually gave Jesus a brand new name, a glorious name. And I don't know what it is, but Paul might be getting at it here. And that at that that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 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 He's Lord. He's my Lord. He's my Lord. And listen, even if you don't believe it, I hope you can feel it today. I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. He is Lord. This word Lord is kurios. And what that means in Greek is it means the Roman emperor. It means the master. It means the owner. It means the one who is in charge. It means the king. It also is the, is the translation from the Hebrew for the word Jehovah into Greek. It's the word that says that Jesus, because he rose from the dead, is now king of kings, Lord of lords, master of master, owner of every breath that you will have. He is. Lord. Hallelujah. And at his name, at his name, every knee will bow. And at his name, every tongue will confess to God's glory that Jesus is the Lord. I want to pray with you. My hope for you today is simply this that you would see the pathway that Jesus chose and that you would, with all your heart, long to embody what Paul is calling us to as the family of God, 
into a unity that comes through humility and explodes into joy. Because that's exactly what you've been given. Paul said, make my joy complete. Remember, completed joy is unity with God and with others. We need it, friends. It needs to be our goal. It must be our focus. We have to choose it. Pray with me. Pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you hear us even right now as we pray. And Lord, for many of us, we feel overwhelmed by the task of unity. And we're so grateful that you work in us to will and to act according to your good pleasure. We're so thankful, Lord, that we can say, help me, and you help. We can say, Lord, it's a mess around me, and you say, I'm able. Lord, we can say, we feel unworthy, and you say, I will rescue you, call out to me. Lord, you are able when we are not. We thank you for the joy that you're setting in our hearts. We thank you that the lyrics that we sing are true today. That we were beggars, but now we're royalty. We were prisoners, but now we're running free. We're the redeemed. We're the forgiven. And we sing praise to you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I just pray for that one that right now can can see the sacrifice of Jesus, the love of Jesus displayed in his humility. And maybe for the first time, they feel like they can connect their life to that. And so I pray in Jesus' name, your blessing and your touch upon those who are reaching your direction. Today is a day, Lord, where life can flow from you into people. You are the Lord of Lords. Come and be master of new lives, Lord. Come as those who call upon that name, the name of Jesus will certainly be saved. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a living relationship with Jesus. Listen, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And what is that name? We learned it today. It's the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord. Call on his name. Whisper his name. Call out to him today. He will hear you and he will respond. And he will rescue your life. So Lord, we choose to set our hearts on joy. We choose to see humility as a path to unity. We choose to set aside disputable matters and we choose to let it all flow from love. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise. Amen. Amen.